Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is your host, Matthew Kirby, and welcome to a new season of the Young Black HR Podcast, brought to you and sponsored by Honest Human Resources Consulting. Our mission is to have meaningful conversations by amplifying voices and perspectives we need to hear in today's times. The Young Black HR Podcast challenges how we define a human resource through discussion of our talents, abilities, and backgrounds that we bring to the table. Now I have one question for you. How are you a human resource? Enjoy today's episode. This one's on me. Hey, what's up? What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Young Black HR Podcast with your host, me. Y'all know how I do it by now. This is Matthew Kirby, and I'm excited to not only have this conversation, but really have the chance and opportunity to have this amazing guest, today's special voice on this episode. So y'all know by now, let's not waste any more time and jump right into it. Alex Smith currently serves as the Chief Human Resource as officer for the city of Memphis. Alex is the visionary and architect behind the city's talent management, training, employee relations, compensation, benefits, and diversity initiatives. As a member of the senior leadership team, she is also the chief change officer focused on evolving the city of Memphis's culture to enable the mayor's mission and position the city of Memphis as a model for a 21st century city. Prior to her service for the city, she served in HR management roles for industry leaders, including Bright Star Corporation, Target Corporation, and Microsoft Corporation, building a career of being a strategic HR partner for key business leaders. Alex is also a strong believer in community service and currently serves on the first eight nonprofit board focused on providing pre-K education to the Memphis community. She has previously served on the youth as resources and University of Minnesota Carlson HRIR alumni boards. Alex holds a bachelor's degree from Duke University in economics and earned a master's degree in human resources and industrial relations from the University of Minnesota. She currently resides in Memphis with her two daughters. Alex is also CEO of Smith Human Capital Management Group, a boutique HR crisis management firm focused on helping individuals, businesses, and nonprofits. For more information, you can always go to www.consultalexsmith.com. Hey, Alex, what's up? What's going on? How you doing? Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no worries. And it is a pleasure that you are not only our today's guest, but this is a great topic that we're going to get into really thinking about, you know, for those, especially like you and I who work in the HR space, what does HR kind of look like within the context of public service and how does that differ from maybe the private sector? But before we get into the meat and potatoes of everything, Alex, I'm not going to treat you any different. Alex, I got to ask you this. How are you a human resource? I am a human resource because my focus is the care and feeding of the employees around me, the employees that I work with, my team, uh, the leaders that I engage with. I am in the business of how to best serve them. Uh, And I see human resources truly as a function that is in the people business. And it is focused on how you can help people be their best and bring their best to work. No, I, I really love that. I love that answer. And it's just one of the one of the one of many special ways that I love having my guests highlight and focus how they are a human resource. For those of you that may be listening for the first time, one thing that we do here on Young Black HR is we always want to make sure that we drive the point home that HR just isn't for folks in HR. We are all collectively human resources in whatever those skills, abilities, talents. And look, Alex, you are no different. Is there anything that you don't do? I mean, you do a lot. And that's so (laughs) impressive and so amazing. Oh, thank you so much. Um, You know, 
it, for me, you know, this work, and it really is, it really is truly a calling. I think people who go into human resources, it's not about just planning events or, you know, um, being, you know, the, the happy-go-lucky, but it really is about how do you help businesses be successful in a very core way? And how do you support both leaders and managers and employees in delivering their best results? And it is, it is hard work. Uh, and many times you're not appreciated for what you do, um, but it is good work. And when you do it, you have an opportunity not only influence the lives that you touch, but to have this multiplier effect where you are actually impacting families and communities with your work. When you employ someone, uh, especially in the public sector, when you employ someone who uh, may have been out of work or is new to, uh, to the workforce, um, you know, you literally can change the outcome for, for a family um, by, by what you do. When you change your healthcare policy and allow for certain um, benefits uh, to, to help with wellness, uh, you can change health outcomes for individuals and their families. So it is, it is a big deal and it, it really can make a difference. So I, I love this work and I love this function. Yeah. And, you know, just even hearing you and, and just speaking on that, there's, there's just so many amens and uh-huhs I can do. And it's one of those things, especially for those who may not be within HR on a day-to-day -day basis, or that may not be their background or career path. It's, it's more than just, and you, you could probably attest to some of this as well. You know, folks out there be throwing shade to HR, you know, especially, yes. you know, if and when something messes up or, you know, we the Grim Reaper, you know, we this, we that, we the work police, all that good stuff. But really just driving home your point, there's so much that we do that affects not just the lives of the employees, but their families, their loved ones. And there's and there's there's a bit of humility with that. And it's also something to not be taken lightly. So I, I really love how you broke that down. And I think people just gotta be reminded of that. But even just with that being said, let's let's set the foundation for a little bit. Let's set the stage. So when we think about public service and the private sector, what are some key differences that, and let's not even pick on HR for now. I really love setting the stage. Aside from HR, we'll get into that for in a second. But you know, what are what are some of those key differences that you would want anyone to know about, you know, what what it is that's different in the private space versus the public space and vice versa? How would you break that down to folks? Well, I think at the core, the, the mission and the purpose of the organizations are fundamentally different. So in the private sector, you have for-profit institutions that are focused on driving market share, revenue to be able to deliver a return to shareholders. In the public sector, it is about delivering services that ensure that the, the citizens have what they need to thrive in a quality of life in the city. So the, the premise behind how the organizations are uh, developed and uh, what the, the ultimate goal is for the organizations are, are too fundamentally different. So are fundamentally different. And so from a private sector perspective, the goal is all around revenue and, and driving that market share. And so when you're looking at you know, hiring, when you're looking at development, when you're looking at promotion, it's, it's all about how you can help the company to compete to be able to you know, acquire that, that revenue and market share. In the public sector, it is about how you can deliver the best service. And in many ways, your competition is other cities, uh, especially at the, local, at the local level, because you want to encourage businesses to want to come here so that you can have population growth and revenue growth. Uh, but you also want to make sure that there's a quality of life standard so that people feel uh, safe, that their, their children are able to go to school, 
that uh, their, their trash is being picked up and that you know, there is a, a quality of life factor uh, for the city. Uh, and so everything from how you look at growth in the city and uh, how to create economic development uh, is fundamentally different than how you would be looking at uh, revenue growth in the, in the private sector. Yeah, I think, you know, even just thinking about that, you know, there there are so many key differences that you hit on. I'm over here thinking like, Lord, where do I start? Which way do I want to go first? How are we going to break this thing down? And it's just it's just a great comparison to really not only lay that out for folks who may not know. Sometimes people know what life is on the public side. Sometimes people know what life is on the private side, even in their perspective industries and roles, but even just thinking about how you broke it down in the sense, I, I love what you said about, you know, sometimes your, your competition, if you will, is that other city, right? Our neighboring cities, whereas on the private side, it's, it's, it's not nearly about that. It's literally that, that next company out there. And when I think about it from an HR perspective, because look, for those of you that are listening, I've only been on the private side all my life. I don't know what it's like to be on the public side. That's why we have Alex here. But thinking about that, you know, what what from your experiences, because you you've done a lot like we haven't even we haven't even jumped in your background or anything yet. But you've been on both sides. I'll say that for lack of better words. So you've been on both sides as an HR professional that has clearly been on both sides of private and public. What are, what are some of those things that HR professionals on either side need to know about the other side, specifically in the HR context? You know, just, and I'll, and I'll kind of I'll kind of jump ahead and say this, you know, when I think about, you know, day-to-day things on the, the private side, I think a lot of people can kind of get a good idea of what that looks like. But on the public side, where it's, it's, it's naturally a, an outward focus, right? providing those services, ultimately helping the people who provide those services. What's your take? What's it What's it like being on, on both sides of the coin? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I have 17 years of HR experience. I've worked in five different industries. And one of the things I can say is the common thread between all of the HR roles that I've had is that every single one was still in the business of the care and feeding of employees, every single one was still in the business of how do you recruit and retain top talent uh, for the organization. So regardless of the industry, I think that is one common theme uh, across your in the people business. Uh, what makes them different though, I think is the, the provisions, if you will, for employees. So in the public sector, you have what they call civil service, which essentially um, and, and not every not every city has this in, or state has it, so it does depend. But um, you know, the civil service uh, allows for a certain due process and, if you will, appeal rights to employees uh, based on um, the the actions that have been taken. So, for example, if you terminate an employee uh, in the civil service context and they have civil service rights. Uh, the employee can actually appeal that termination to a civil service commissioner or a civil service board and possibly get their job back um, if they, you know, they, they are able to make the case um, that there, was, uh, there wasn't due process or there wasn't enough documentation. So um, in the private sector, you don't, you don't have that. And, and so the, you know, the, the standard in terms of, of how you look at employment at will and, uh, and, and how you terminate would be very different. Um, you know, the second component in the public sector that's different is pension. And so, you know, if you have 25 years of credible service, um, you get the opportunity to be able to have a, a a pension annuity for the rest of your life, and if you're married, Ooh, say you're, say that again, Alice, because that that word I was like pension. I haven't pension. heard that in a yes. long time. Go ahead, go ahead, yes. break that down again. You said yeah. after how long, and you'll be cut a check for the rest of your life. Twenty five years. You um, and every you know so. You know, different organizations have different pension boards and different pension rules. Uh, but for us, you know, 
25 years, you spend 25 years with us, you are eligible for a pension for the rest of your life. And, and essentially it is around 72% um, of your salary. So if you can imagine being, you know, 20 coming to work for us or mm -hmm. 21 coming to work for us as a police officer, um, you know, by 46, you're able to collect, you're able to retire and collect a pension. Uh, and then of course, you know, begin another career. Um, if you would like. And so that is a very unique circumstance. So, um, you know, from that standpoint, there's a there's an entitlement there. Um, and, you know, we talk about culturally what happens when you have somebody that is, you know, three years out from being able to retire, um, you know, you're going to find they're not, maybe not necessarily willing to rock the boat if they're, if they're, if they're that close to retirement. Um, or if they understand that they have civil service rights. So, you know, there's a certain level of uh, due process and, and entitlement that can come along with having those type of programs that you wouldn't get in the private sector. Uh, certainly, you know, people, uh, you know, in the private sector with, you know, 401k package feel, you know, it, it, you know, it, it is lucrative, but that that's not enough necessarily to keep them there. They can, you know, move around and take their, you know, and take their uh, 401k and make it portable to an IRA and, and move on to other places. But when you, you know, are close to that 25 years, or if you're fully vested, you know, in a pension plan, uh, you're, you're going to try to stay. Uh, and, and so, you know, our attrition rate from that standpoint, averages 3%. Um, and, you know, in the private sector, it is much, much higher. <laughs> so, you know, the, the ability to promote and other things, you know, can be a challenge. So uh, from that standpoint, you know, being thoughtful and creative about how you continue to invest and grow and develop the populations different in the public sector, um, how you uh, ensure for appropriate knowledge transfer so that when people do retire, not all the information goes with them, that there's, you know, standard operating procedures and uh, knowledge management tools in place to be able to, to, to ensure that there's business continuity. Those are some of the, the things that you, you have to really think through um, and be able to honestly make a case for to be able to make investment for that. So those are some of the, the, the differences between the two. Yeah, and you and you bring up you know a number of good points. I'm over here thinking like, sheesh, this might need to, this might go way beyond the hour. But no, seriously speaking, you know, I think one of the things that really stood out to me is that, you know, I'll I'll call it a motivation or a willingness to to finish those last few years up, especially when you were mentioning about you know, hey, if I'm 20, 22, 23 years in, I'm just gonna go ahead and stick that out. I'm not going to rock the boat too much in that sense. And even as I, as I think about, you know, HR as a whole, but even just life on the private side, when, when you're, when you're dealing with and you're being employees, when employees are on that kind of trajectory, is there ever any concern that, you know, there may be lack of innovation because you don't want to rock the boat or, how, how do cities in this case, or even other organizations on the public side, maintain that sense of creativity and innovation and, and competitiveness? Because when I think about, and probably some of the listeners out here as well, when you think about, you know, pensions, and when you think about, you know, the public side with the government, for example, and many other uh, places as well, you know, it, it just seems like, you, you know, you go in, you, you do your work, and at the end of the day, it's a rainbow in the sense of the pension. You know, how, how if I was an employee on the public side, how, how does being on that side of things encourage me to be creative and, and really bring my skill set to the, to the city or to the org in this case? Absolutely. So, you know, at the core of it, you know, and this is no different between the public or private sector, leadership matters. And so having leaders who can talk about purpose, can talk about mission-driven work, can talk about vision, all of those things are still very important and motivating in helping people to see how they are part of a bigger effort and uh, to encourage and motivate them to be able to 
contribute their best work to the greater good. And so what I found uh, on the public sector side, we actually have a stronger, if you will, pool or argument related to mission-driven work and how you know our work is directly tied to the, the public good and the safety of others. And so for me, I've underpinned our innovation and accountability to that. Our purpose statement is making life better for Memphians every day. And so driving for innovation and, and, and programs that really allow for us to make life better for Memphians every day helps us get up in the morning. And it's what I'm able to talk with the team about in terms of how we're able to move things forward. But as a leader, you have to be very conscious of, if you will, you know, the the headwinds and the tailwinds related to what's happening in the culture and focus on this importance of, of being um, engaging and, and having this vision for how your work ties to uh, what can make a difference uh, for for the city that you're in or, or whoever you're serving. So I think that, you know, that, that tied it to the mission um, and, uh, you know, setting a clear vision out for how you want to be able to make life better for others um, is, is how you can drive for innovation and creativity. And with, with the city of Memphis, we've been able to do that. So everything from, you know, reimagining the way we look at uh, uh, policing and uh, HR, our call center operations, you know, at the core of it, we were able to bring about innovation because we really focused the team around the purpose and getting people to really buy into this idea of, you know, how do we make changes so that we can really make things better for people? You know, how can we make it easier for people to uh, let us know if there's an issue with their 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 trash or their or their or if there's an issue uh, in the uh, with potholes and we can proactively go out and try to fix those. How can we also incentivize our employees and motivate our employees to know that by them serving the citizens, uh, they're actually serving the broader good, and uh, we can help to acknowledge and recognize um, our employees for doing the right thing. Um, so. You know, bringing it all together to, to that purpose and really honing in on how we can drive for creativity and innovation that can help us achieve our purpose has been fundamental for helping us do that. And you know what? I, I love it. And I'm such a just such a big fan of even just listening to the gems that you've dropped so far. And one of the things that is definitely important and that has been not only just the important matter for for the longest when I think about it, at least, but even just within this last year, when we think about, you know, just kind of our social reckoning and about the police. And one of the, one of the common questions that I get is, you know, when we, when we see different things, you know, out in the news or whatever the case may be, you know, how, how does HR come into play with that? And, you know, just even taking a little bit further, because naturally I'm thinking, especially in a city context is, you know, how is that relationship between, you know, not only public servants, right, no matter what role they are in, but also what is that relationship like with, I would call it HR and social justice, you know, how, how does that play a role and how does that manifest if I was a, if I was a Memphian, you know, looking at it outside from the end? Wow, that is a big question. <laughs> Come big on, question. I know. I'm stirring the yeah, pot. I know, you I know. Are, you are. Shout out so, to Memphis, though. I, I love y'all. Yeah. I love y'all. Go ahead. Yes, yes, Memphis. Uh, and I have to say this. We have the best barbecue in the country. I just want to put that right, hold out on, there. Hold on now. I almost I cut the show. I, I almost cut the show because, <laughs> look, for those of you that don't know, I'm from North Carolina, so I love uh -huh. me some Carolina barbecue. I love the vinegar. I am here for it. I'm sorry, Alice. Go ahead. I'm just messing with you. Yeah, that, you know, you got to come to Memphis, though. So <laughs> I invite you to Memphis so you can try a barbecue. Um, but, you know, to, to answer that question, you know, it, you know, last year, and even before that, you know, that this social justice movement 
uh, related to equality for, for, for Black people in this country has been going on for a number of years. So uh, I don't, I don't want to pretend that, you know, last year was the beginning, you know, that, that it was a, a continuation right. um, of the conversation. I, from an HR standpoint, at, you know, actually being in this role at the time of the murder of George Floyd, I can tell you that um, what it made me do as a leader is take a second and ask myself the question, am I doing everything I can to prevent something like that from happening in this city? And within my power of recruiting police, of promoting people into police ranks, of triaging employee relations and labor relations issues within my power, am I doing everything I can to prevent a citizen from being harmed? And, you know, at the core of it, I had my team, we literally looked at everything that we were doing and asked ourselves the question, could this happen here? And is there anything that we have in our processes that could help us prevent this from happening. So, you know, whether it was, you know, how we looked at our advertising to our selection criteria to even at the training academy, uh, the way that we talk about race relations and community relations uh, within the city of Memphis um, in our police department, we, we, we took a look and examined all of those things. And I think as an HR leader in the public sector, you understand that you're hiring those who are going to serve others. You're hiring individuals and you are um, setting the HR rules and policies for individuals who are ultimately going to be making life or death decisions. So it's important, not only do you do that, you know, equitably and fairly, but that also that you are looking to create that right selection criteria and, and, and uh, mechanisms to ensure that you are really getting people who are truly uh, concerned about the citizens and have a heart for service, have a heart for accountability, that are willing to collaborate and, and do the right thing. Uh, and of course, you know, like any HR person, you know that, you know, you, you're going to put the, 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 the best tools and selection uh, in place and seek to uh, make sure that you have that outcome. Um, there are times when the outcome doesn't work out the way that you it predicted that it, it would. Um, but from there, you get with the team and you make adjustments. And so, um, you know, from, from my standpoint, it was all about, uh, at that time, looking at everything that we um, have in terms of all of our policies, our procedures, and, and, and really actually spending time talking with the communities. I, I sat on a number of task force, um, spent countless hours. I literally printed out our entire memorandums of understanding, our uh, trainings, um, our uh, uh, policy and procedures. I literally printed out everything and gave it to community leaders and said, this is what we're doing. I'm full open book. This is what we're doing please share with me if you see anything here that we can improve upon. Uh, and I literally had those questions. Um, and recently um, I helped to facilitate our chief of police search here in Memphis. And we had a, um, a broad uh, selection of around 20 people that participated on a number of interview panels. And what I said to them was, this is an important process and we want your feedback. We want to understand how you perceive the strengths and opportunities of each of these chief of police candidates, because we want the mayor to be able to make the best appointment decision that he can. And so having that feedback from the community is going to be important to, for him to be able to make the best decision. So, you know, essentially using your, you know, from an HR standpoint and using your position and using your, your sphere of influence, if you will, to make sure that you're doing your part to ensure that the right thing happens uh, and, and, and seeking out every opportunity. So that's how I looked at it. Um, and, and 
And that's, you know, really what I've been focused on as a leader. I think there, there are a number of public sector uh, HR leaders that I've talked to that feel the same way. And, and particularly being a Black woman, um, you know, who's a mother of two children, um, who is, you know, a daughter and a granddaughter, um, I think it's even more imperative for me to ensure that we're doing everything that we can. And that's the position that I came from. And I know a number of HR leaders, um, particularly uh, HR leaders who are African-American in the public sector that are coming from that same perspective. And wow, there's just, uh, goodness, which way way to even go with, with that? You know, thank you for not only that insight, because you know what, being on the outside looking in, especially just of everything, not only over the past year or two, like you mentioned, that's been going on, but even just over time, it's, it's always interesting. And I can only imagine how and what the dynamic is when I think about, okay, I'm not just in this role, you know, doing whatever I need to do in HR. I'm not just working for the city, but there's, there's also that one important stakeholder to a certain degree we may not see or experience as much in the private sector, but there's always that, that court of public opinion and your, and your stakeholders become less about, you know, maybe folks in suits and ties, but it, it becomes more about, you know, just, just the everyday person. And I think that's a, that's a really interesting dynamic when we think about that. And it's really interesting when you think about just working at any company, right? What if, and for those of you that are listening, you know, what if you are in the private sector? I'm just going to be hypothetical for a second. What if you were in the private sector and, you know, a component of, you know, really your your organization's, you know, lifeline was to get public opinion, right? And how and how would that influence and, and sway and really help you navigate the different day-to-day tasks that you do? And it's, and it's so interesting, Alex, that you, you bring up the point in what it, what it really sounds to me is that, you know, it goes back into that, that duality, right? So there's one side of Alex that's, you know, change chief officer and doing damn thing for Memphians and making life in Memphis great and everything. But there's also that other side when we think about, you know, Alex as not only her own person, number one, but also Alex as a mom, a mother of two. And even for those of you that are listening, I too am a parent of two. So that is a very interesting journey in and of itself. But thinking about this, here's where I'm going. Here's what I want to ask you. You know, is there such thing, especially in this very unique environment and situation that you're in, is there such thing as separating in that sense, you know, uh, professional and personal life, especially as things are happening or continue to happen all across the country and world? You know, it is tough. I'll be honest with you. And, um, you know, especially during the the chief of police process, it was a very public executive search process. And I was on the news. You know, I was on your five o'clock news, uh, you know, and people saw me talking about the process. And there were community activists that did not like uh, the way that the process went. And I had friends who agreed with those community activists. And so, um, and so literally, you know, the, my personal life and my professional life blended together. And, um, you know, and I had to talk with, with my friends and say, you know, here, here's the, my perspective and here's where I'm coming from. And I can respect that you disagree with me. Um, but you know, this is, this is how I see it. Um, and it was, it was tough. It was tough. Uh, you know, being in the public sector, you know, it, it is very unique in that it's very visible. So, you know, in the private sector, if you make a decision on a policy or benefits, you, nobody knows about that. You don't, you, you don't have people inquiring about that. In the public sector, you literally can be on the five o'clock news and having to do media interviews about a decision that you've made. Um, your, your emails are subject to open records where people can say, I want all of so-and-so's email uh, and, and people can have that and, uh, based on the, the FOIA Act. Um, people literally will email 
city council members and say, I don't like how this policy is written or I don't like how I'm being paid versus in the private sector, you know, it's rare that employees would email board of directors for a policy issue that they don't like. Um, so it's a very unique, it's a very unique circumstance. And so I think, you know, having that understanding that this is mission-driven work, I think staying true to uh, what you think is right, even if people disagree with you, um, you know, is important. I think also understanding the political landscape is important as well. Um, and, and so you have to navigate that. Uh, so, you know, I think a lot of people don't understand kind of what goes behind the scenes in, in the public sector. And so they they pass judgment real quick about, you know, what Come on, should don't happen. You, <laughs> don't you love that court of public opinion? Court of public opinion. And, you know, and I, and honestly, before I came into this role, I did the same thing. You know, you would say, oh, you know, the, the, a city did X, Y, and Z policy. Wow, you know, why did they just do it this way? Or why did, you know, and it's not until you're in the role and you realize all the different pieces that are connected to it uh, and you have that context that you then understand how certain decisions can be made. Um, and so I think what I would, would ask, actually, I think, you know, everyone should do a, a, a public sector stint in their career. I think it is um, good for people to understand from a civics perspective how government works, whether it's, you know, at the local level or even the, the county or state level. Um, most people don't understand what it means to um, work in city government or what does it mean to uh, work with a city council or how those dynamic works. You know, they, they, all they care about is, okay, my water works, <laughs> my trash gets picked up, you know, <laughs> I can drive down the street and the lights, you know, the traffic lights work and they don't think about it. But what they don't understand is that there are, you know, in the city of Memphis, there's you know, 8,300 city employees that help make those things happen. And there's an HR team and a finance team and an IT team and a legal team here that support that, that at the end of the day, we are a, what, what one would call a, a true medium-sized organization. And we are a billion dollar organization. Um, and, and so these, these are serious jobs and serious roles and, um, you know, in, in, in this just really fascinating work. Um, so, you know, I say all that to say that, yes, it, you know, the, your personal and, and professional can blend together. Um, but at the core of it, I think the, the ability to, to serve is a, is a calling. Uh, and, you know, it really, there's nothing like it uh, to be able to, to do that and say that you really are doing work that makes a difference in people's lives. Yeah, and this it's definitely one of a kind. And even even as I just stand here and and really just kind of meditate, like I know through the course of this episode, and I even know that even as people are listening, thinking about this, you know, going back and forth between private and public and public and private, it's one of those things where it's not just working, at least how I interpret it, it's not just, you know, working on the public side because that's just how it is, but really. And you, and you made some good points, you know, earlier, really just that idea of like, hey, you know, think about accountability 2.0, right? Think about, okay, normally on the private side, you know, HR is just kind of in the background, right? You, you're not going to ever or rarely, you know, see someone on the private sector in HR, you know, do a press conference, right? You know, that's, that's normally what a lot of, uh, PR teams and marketing teams and all that stuff is for, but even just the, the idea, even in your experiences that you had to be that person on the five o'clock news, like, wow, I'm over here thinking, and y'all that are listening, could y'all imagine if, you know, you're just going through a hiring process for an important position, don't get me wrong, but they tap you on the shoulder and you got to get out there and defend your hiring and selection practices and just comment on that, that, that definitely isn't for the faint of heart. And I don't know that, you know, most people or really even the average HR professional could or would do something like that. Even just thinking about, and I didn't even touch on this, but it, it really made me think about, well, geez, when I think about how 
the employee relations side of things works, I know that's got to be night and day in the sense that, you know, when we, and again, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to, you know, stay on the police for a second, but even just thinking about, well, what happens when that uh, court of public opinion gets going and that machine gets churning and then you as an organization got to in the midst of, you know, doing what you all need to do to really investigate that. But in the midst of doing that, got to come out press conferences. This is what we got to do. This is what that is. So it kind of leads me to, to ask you and really even to say for those, and I'll just pivot for a moment, but for those who are coming from private to public sector HR, you know, how, what is the what is the mental preparation like that for those possibilities, even in your own experiences? Wow, uh, you know, great question. I think, you know, the mental preparation has to be centered around service and looking at how you can take your talents and gifts and abilities and share those and present those to make a difference, to serve others, and ultimately to help in, in the service of citizens. And so that, that mindset around serving and keeping the greater good in mind is critical. I, I think for you to be successful uh, in our environment. Um, you know, it, it is interesting how the court of public opinion is very real. And I think especially in this 24 hour news cycle, social media time that we live in, uh, it's, it's even more so. Uh, everyone has an opinion uh, and can easily share that with, uh, you know, on different platforms. Um, at the core of it, you still have to stay true to what is the mission and what do you think is the, the right thing to do and, and do your best with all the information you have available to you to make the, the best decision. Uh, it is very visible. Uh, and there are times when people just don't understand you know, especially if they're coming from a certain perspective of, well, you know, in the private sector, if this happened, we just fired. Well, in the public sector, remember I said earlier, we have these civil service rights, which means that they have a due process. So we have to actually go through our procedural steps before we can terminate someone. Um, and, and why is that important? Well, if we don't go through our due process in the right way, that person could appeal to the civil service board to get their job back and they actually could get their job back with back pay. So you have to do it in a certain way uh, and, and communicate that. So, um, you know, I think staying, staying true, you know, to, to what you understand to know to be the right thing to do uh, and staying focused on that is so important, you know, in this context. I think also, you know, and, and one of the things I had to, to learn very early on is, some things are political, but they're not personal. And, um, you know, our workforce is 75% represented um, by employee associations. And, you know, shout out to anybody who has labor union experience. Um, mm -hmm. That's it a, is, that's a, a whole, whole different other, level. Exactly. <laughs> Look, that, that can be an episode in and of itself, because even just with that, when we think about labor relations and just dealing with unions oh my goodness Alice I was in that environment for a little bit and I was like even look even on the private side and in my case this was for a, a nonprofit that I was at but even on that side just coming from a union environment to a non-union environment or even vice versa oh that's that's a whole it's, nother ball game it's all different <laughs> it's a whole different and and so you know you know in our case in and this re this actually just happened recently when we were uh, at an impasse meeting. You know, the person you know that that I was um, you know presenting, uh, if you will, against I won't say against, it's, it's, but you know, basically the association was presenting their their argument for why they should receive a salary increase, and I was presenting you know our administration's argument for. Uh, why we couldn't afford to do that and you know he said a, a number of different things about us and you know it it, it sounded bad you know and, and he you know he made a, a number of different um different points that 
you know, when you heard them, you're like, oh my God, you, you make us sound like this horrible, <laughs> this horrible employer. <laughs> right. And, you know, and afterwards I talked to him and he was like, you know, this is, remember, this is business. It's not personal. You know, I'm, I'm here to advocate for my members and I'm going to do that. And, but at the end of the day, you know, you and I can just grab a drink later, you know, and, and, and so it really hit me and dawned on me that at the core of it, you know, politics doesn't necessarily mean it's personal. And so learning how to not only have a thick skin, but to understand what is actually political um, and, and people, you know, essentially making political moves versus what is actually a personal attack are two totally different things. Uh, and, and in a very, in a public sector context, when you have election cycles and different things happening, you know, in many ways, a lot of it is more politically driven than it is true business or operations driven. Uh, and so that that is unique. And, you know, in the private sector, you get some internal politics. Um, and of course, some organizations have more than others. But in the public service context, when you have people running for election every four years, or two years, whatever the cycle is, um, you know, it changes the whole dynamic in terms of people's motivations and uh, how they seek to do certain things. And, and so you, you understand that at the core of it, you can't take it personally. Uh, and you, once again, have to hone in on, okay, what do you think is the right thing to do? And to advocate for that. And then, you know, you just have to just move, move on. So, you know, that, that is, you know, what makes our environment very unique. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing, and even just speaking of like that uniqueness, and I remember even before we got to this point, Alex, we recorded and all this good stuff, even just thinking about what makes your environment and probably many other people's environments different as well. But, you know, I, I had a dream, not to sound MLK-ish, but, you know, I had a dream one day that I would be working, you know, for an employer one day in my career. I got a long way to go. Don't get me wrong. But even just that idea of working for arguably a majority Black employer and even just thinking about, you know, Memphis as a city, I'm, I'm pretty sure if it's not the majority, but definitely a large uh, population of Black folks there. What what from that kind of environment, you know, what what is that like, you know, working in those majority black spaces? And, you know, is that in and of itself, you know, kind of like a, a utopia or what what's your experience been like? Yeah, you know, so it is interesting. So Memphis, Memphis as a city is 60 percent African-American and the city of Memphis as an employer is 60 percent African-American. Our police department is 55 percent African-American. Um, with, you know, soon to be its first ever African-American female police chief. Our fire department is 40% African-American. Um, and our HR division uh, where I work is 70% African-American. Uh, and so it has been a very unique, um, if one could all, almost call it even a, an alternative universe <laughs> uh, to work in an environment, you know, where you know, in the past, other organizations I work for, you know, the black population maybe five percent of the of of the total population. So to go from truly being a minority to being a majority uh, has been a very different and unique experience. And one of the things that I can appreciate about it is that I truly do feel that I can bring my whole self to work. So whether it's I decide to change my hair or, you know, the clothing I decide to wear um, or even how we relate to each other. I, I finally have a glimpse of what, it's, what it feels like to truly belong, if you will, and to feel that you are, um, have this sense of cultural understanding. You're not the other. You're not the other uh, in the same way. So, that is different and that is unique. And I will say it has been a blessing. And, you know, as a mother of two African-American girls, you know, the ability for me to take them around the city of Memphis uh, and for them to see themselves and for them to be comfortable with their bodies and, you know, and their hair and other things, 
you know, it is something that is absolutely benefit. I think on the challenge side, though, you know, within the African American culture, you know, we have similarities, but we also have differences. And, and uh, you know, particularly me uh, not being from Memphis, um, being from Gary, Indiana originally, um, or coming from the Midwest, uh, you know, learning what it means to work in the South and, uh, you know, in, in the Bible Belt. Uh, I'll never forget the, you know, I, I had been here maybe a week and somebody asked me what church I went to. Um, which, you know, <laughs> is a, a no-no, uh, right. you know, from a compliance standpoint, but, you, you know, here because of, of, of Memphis and, 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 and the very strong church culture here, um, you know, that, that was a question and, um, you know, and, and, and so I had to, <laughs> you know, navigate that, you know, carefully in terms of, you know, trying to think through, uh, you know, what I wanted to do, you know, from a, a religious standpoint. Um, right. And so, you know, th there are those, those things uh, where just culturally it can be different. I think also, you know, and just being honest, you know, in the African-American culture, uh, we still have remnants of slavery and we still have challenges of, of being, you know, they talk about crabs in a bucket, crabs in a barrel and, you know, uh, you know, having a, a sense of, you know, competition with each other and things of that nature. You know, I saw that when I was in the, the private sector um, and I see it in the public sector too. Um, and so there, there are some things like that, that are in our, that, you know, can be remnants of our culture that, you know, can, can persist. And so, you know, having to let people know, you know, we're not, we're not competition. You know, I want to see you win. And um, I'm going to help you and support you in that. I think coming from just a different, you know, perspective about how to support others uh, who are in, um, in in the pursuit of, of whatever their career advancement is, is important regardless of what organization you're in. And even, you know, in, even in our environment where we're majority African-American, it's still important and having to continue to work through that. Yeah, and just, oh my goodness, you know, just just so many thoughts run through my head, even just thinking about, you know, the the idea of not only those environments exist. And when I when I think about that, just just as a black man, and there's there's places and spaces where there is majority us, it, it makes me be like, you know, Wakanda is out there for real, for real. And it's just thinking about, you know, all that black excellence, I'm sure that's running around there. And even when you were uh, talking about, you know, the the church question, you know, I, I could look just being from the South myself, North Carolina, it's, it's only a matter of time, especially if you're not from somewhere, you know, they might hit you with the child. You don't go to such and such church. Y'all better come on down now and everything like that. And this <laughs> mm -hmm. it's, it's it's just it's just, you know, how you said it is. It is a part of the culture, but it's also thinking about you know, normally when you think about things like religion and all that, we we know how taboo those things can be. So it's 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 definitely a a unique experience. I'll call it that. Uh, just even not only being at work, quote unquote, but also being able to come in any any job, any position that you have as your authentic self. You know, I'm, I'm sure it's a breath of fresh air to be able to know. For you, Alex, to just you know what, if you want to switch the hairstyle up, go ahead, switch the hairstyle up. If you want to do something a little bit different this week's outfits, go ahead do a little something a little different. And it's and it's it's great to hear that you know that environment is out there. And even just thinking about uh, you know some of the some of the drawbacks you mentioned, crabs in the barrel. Uh, it also makes me think about and remember the episode. For those of you that are listening, uh, go back and check out the episode. Uh, what I did with code switching skin folk ain't your kin folk always in the workplace. And that's a whole nother topic all of in itself. But even just thinking about those pluses and minuses, it, it's really great to to just be able to listen and be a be an ear on what that kind of environment may be like. And I really appreciate you just taking all this time to just drop that insight and knowledge. But look, before I let you go, you know, what's next for you? What's next for the city of Memphis? You know, what, what can we expect? What's going on over there? Well, 
you know, first and foremost, we are, you know, continuing to focus on how to support citizens through the pandemic. Uh, we have taken over the vaccination effort in our county here. And so continuing to advocate for the importance of vaccinations and to support ensuring equal access to vaccinations is really important. And even from an HR policy standpoint, you know, we're venturing into, you know, providing paid time off uh, for people to get vaccinated and, you know, looking at how we can provide more support to employees um, around that. So that is, that is my focus. Um, you know, I think the secondary component is, you know, how do we look at uh, building uh, our momentum back? So we, we had, uh, before, prior to the pandemic, we had really made a lot of great gains in terms of our recruiting and retention work with public safety and really changing the narrative about what it meant to work for a government. Um, and then we lost some of that momentum during the pandemic. And so, you know, for the next few years, my goal is getting us back to where we were and um, helping to show people that working in public sector can be a great opportunity, even if it's only for a few years uh, to, to serve, um, can be a great opportunity for people to grow their careers and to serve and to learn more. Um, and so my focus is how do we do that? And particularly because, you know, the, the stat that, you know, I heard in December of last year that over 2 million women um, left the workforce uh, during the pandemic. Uh, and they left the workforce for a number of different reasons, whether it was you know, downsizing or because of family challenges and pressures at home. You know, I, I see that as an amazing opportunity for all of us as employers to look at how we can uh, re-engage and to, to re-employ um, women uh, across the U.S. particularly um, and so I, I have some thoughts about that. You know, we are a 75% male organization, um, and that's mainly due to two thirds of our workforce being in police and fire, which are, you know, traditionally male dominated fields. Um, how do we, we think differently about, you know, diversity and inclusion and um, creating opportunities for, for women to, to return to work? So uh, those are some of the things that keep me up at night right now. Um, that I'm thinking through and, and you know, wanting to uh, really be a, uh, you know, a, a shining example, if you will, of, of how we can do some great work um, in that, that area and helping people um, get back to work. And you know what, Alex, you know, I, I say this, I feel like I say this at least once every episode, but it's, it's just so much good information and just so much to talk about. I wish I could put it all in one episode, because there is truly a lot that we could pivot off of and spin off of, even with what you just said. So I look, I am gratefully humble. It is a, it's an honor and a privilege to not only have you on here, but just even look, and I tell, I tell my guests this, you know, folks may know by now, I tell my guests is you don't got to come on here and talk about your job, but I appreciate, you know, you, you give an insight, not only the amazing things that you are doing in the city of Memphis, but also just given that perspective, it was a number of questions that I got. And I love to make sure that, you know, we're, we're making and creating content for our listeners for sure around the world. So we really appreciate it. We want to thank you. And last but not least, I promise I'm gonna let you go. And last but not least, you know, how can people connect with you? How can they keep the conversation going? Absolutely. I'm active on uh, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can hit me up. Um, I'm at CHRO Alex Smith uh, on Twitter and Instagram, um, LinkedIn. Um, you can find me at with Consult Alex Smith. So uh, definitely reach out to me. Happy to keep the conversation going. And um, even if you just have questions about what is it like to be in public sector, happy to, to answer any questions offline. So thank you for this opportunity. Absolutely. We love it. We love it. We love to continue to support. And for those of you that are listening, please keep the conversation going. Listen to the episodes, engage with us online. And when in doubt, you can follow us on your favorite social media platform at, you guessed it, Young Black HR. And Alex, again, I'm just so happy to have this conversation with you. And until next time, for those of you that are listening, until next episode, until next conversation, 
This has been an amazing experience of the Young Black HR Podcast. Make sure you connect with today's guests on social media accounts. And if you haven't already, bookmark and check out our website at honesthumanresources.com for your career-related needs. Also connect with Young Black HR on your favorite platform at, you guessed it, Young Black HR. You can locate us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Again, I am your host, Matthew Kirby, and I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Tune in to next week's episode. Hey, y'all. Did you enjoy today's episode about how HR functions as a public servant? Alex brings a diverse skill set and a wealth of knowledge to any table. For those of you who may have listened to our first episode of season seven entitled Always Be Applying, I mentioned that certain young black HR episodes would be eligible for SHRM PDCs. For those of you who may have either a SHRM CP and or a SHRM SCP, today's activity code is 21-Q as in Queen, A as in Apple, T as in Tom, the number 7, and M as in Makeup. And if asked about the organization, please list the primary organization as Honest Human Resources Consulting LLC. I can't wait to continue the conversation in our next episode. Remember... Ask yourself, how are you a human resource?